even the way you think about someone is a relationship with them. If you mm -hmm. judge someone as being controlling or bully or whatever labels you put on them, that also contributes. That's an invisible structure that contributes to the actual physical relationship you have with someone. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to another edition. Uh, so glad that you're able to join us here on the 13th most popular leadership podcast in the world. Looking to make that number 12, crack that top 10. Uh, thank you for your reviews. Thank you for sharing with other like-minded managers and leaders, everyone who is wanting to invest in human-centered leadership, getting results without losing our soul or mind in the process. All right, our guest today, just sits so sweetly in this pocket and is uh, passionate about a, a subject related to human-centered leadership that I just think is so important. Her name is Marlene Chisholm. She's a seasoned speaker, thought partner, advisor, coach, and author. She's the CEO of Marlene Chisholm Consulting, and she works with C-suite leaders to build drama-free cultures that drive growth and reduce costly mistakes. And I don't know about you, but in this day and age, I'm all for the more drama-free that we can find and create and build around us. So Marlene's known for helping managers address the elephant in the room and initiate conversations that get results. She's authored multiple books on these topics, and her latest is what we're here to talk about today. From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. Marlene, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you so much for having me. I love, love, love your subtitle. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And like I said in the introduction, I am passionate about this subject. When we talk about human-centered leadership, I think conflict is at the heart of what fouls us up so often and makes it difficult for human-centered leaders to succeed, uh, tends to get people off of their human-centeredness. And then the conflict to courage part is very intriguing too. So our latest book, uh, Courageous Cultures, we're all about building those kinds of cultures. So this is just going to be a sweet conversation. Before we dive in, Marlene, I want to ask you to take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Wow, my earliest memory of myself as a leader. I started from the perspective of that if I can't lead right from where I am, I will, my message will not be powerful later. And that actually, when I was a blue collar worker and had no power or authority, and I knew I had to have a difficult conversation with my boss, and I had this vision that one day I would be teaching certain ideas and principles, I'd had this awakening. And I remember thinking, I can't do it now because I don't have power or I, you know, it's going to come off this way or that way. And then something came to me that said, if you can't do it right from where you are, it won't be powerful later. So I realized it even as a, a frontline worker on the factory floors. Mm, very, very early in your career, that recognition that if I can't do it now, then these ideas, these concepts, no, I can't teach. I can't do anything with it if I don't do it right here, right now. That if it's a principle, it works in all situations and that it's universal. Um, and that was, I was very, very idealistic at that time. So my first understanding of leadership was self-leadership. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And I'm just thinking about the, the applications and the principle of that principle to everyone listening right now. You know, if you're ever finding yourself going, okay, well, when I'm in that role, I will. 
Well, is there an opportunity that you can or ought to be doing that right now, that there is an opportunity to exercise influence, to have the conversation, to fill in the blank? All right. Well, I love that intro and that passion obviously has carried through your career. Why is this subject so important to you? You've written several books about it. You, it's, it's the core of the work that you do, this idea of helping leaders create drama-free to invest in healthy conflict maybe might be a different way of saying it, but why is this subject so important? You know, when I first started again, it all comes back to the beginning. Um, my mission at that time was, and the name of my business, the legal name of my business is related to it, but it was to improve communication and relationships everywhere. That meant starting with myself and it evolved from that. And so, um, I just think relationships, I don't think it, I know it. It's part of the value of our lives and that without relationships, we can't do anything. And we use that term very lightly, but even the way you think about someone is a relationship with them. If you judge someone as being controlling or bully or whatever labels you put on them, that also contributes. That's an invisible structure that contributes to the actual physical relationship you have with someone. So it really started from this perspective of to co improve communication and relationships means that I have to be a lead from within first. And then it's about the tools and techniques and so on to, to elevate that. But it really came from a desire. And I think maybe if I even go deeper to say that, well, I came from a background where there was a lot of drama in my family of origin. And, uh, and someone angry could mean the threat of, of your safety. So I think for, for me, it's probably deeper than what I've really recognized, but that we all need to feel safe. We need to be able to disagree without it being the end of the world. And when we live and work in cultures where our very safety is threatened, there's no fulfillment in that. So it's just, it's just ground into me. There's no fulfillment for the individual or the managers, the teams at any level nor is there anywhere near the level of achievement or productivity or accomplishment for what that organization exists to do in the world or produce and everything suffers you know as i as i was reading your book marlene one of the things that came up for me is uh, you know i think about the fact that historically and you know you can look at the research on this harvard business review and different case studies uh, that there are a fair number of narcissists and business leaders who aren't particularly human-centered over the years and especially in the ranks of more senior leaders. And as I was reading, I'm like, okay, why is this? And I think one of the reasons, at least I suspect, I have not done the research, but I suspect is because that they've got a, maybe a natural capacity for conflict that doesn't come as naturally to other people. And it's not healthy conflict, but they're more comfortable or it doesn't cause the same level of discomfort for them, perhaps. And the takeaway for me is that if we can help our human-centered leaders master the ability, like you say, to stop avoiding and start leading, everyone wins, we'll build better workplaces and get better results. Well, I have a theory too, that even aggression is a form of avoidance. Mm. And so um, there's someone I love, I think his name is Robert Green. And I just listened to some of his, his work. And he says that we're all narcissists. It's just matters of it's just levels. And I really like that because it puts us all in the play and level playing field. And I used to be afraid of what, what we might label as narcissistic, very harsh. They, they feel that their saying is, or their belief system is, I have no trouble with conflict. That's not actually the truth, though. 
Mm. They, it's an aggression that keeps them from intimacy, that keeps them from having happy marriages, really good relationships that are symbiotic because they're eaten up with this need to win and rule. And there's an aggression that comes from a lack of fulfillment is what I've seen when I've worked with people like this. And I'm not a psychologist. I don't mean to label anybody. I try to meet people right where they are. I find that people that think that they're good with conflict are usually on the aggressive end. And the truth is they may be okay with hurting other people's feelings, but that's an avoidance of their own feelings. That's an avoidance of looking within and being a different kind of leader and really looking at their own wounds. So um, I think I can accept people for where they are. I've worked with really aggressive people. I used to be afraid of that. I now know that there's still issues of insecurity underneath all of that. So I don't worry about it so much. Really, my work is for anyone that wants to grow and look deeper into themselves. If they're already feeling like they don't have the problem, my book is probably not for them. They'll have to come up against some sort of hurt or they'll want to create some sort of legacy and they won't feel equipped to coach other people because of their own nature. So that's where my work comes in with with those individuals that see themselves as having no problem with conflict. Mm, That is such a beautiful insight that uh, particularly if we're working with somebody who seems to have that more aggressive approach, as you were saying, that to recognize that there is still the very human stuff underneath all of that, even if we don't see it up front, to be aware that it can be there. Yeah. And like, I mean, I had a boss, you know, back in the factory days that would say, you know, that's just the way it is. I didn't ask you to work here. And if you don't like it, find yourself another place to work. And I was afraid of him. And I have been traditionally kind of afraid of the real aggressive types. Sure. But I think the more you get comfortable with conflict, you're not afraid of that anymore. In fact, I know that I can be really aggressive and it was a blind spot. Like sometimes what we project onto others, we have ourselves and those defense mechanisms. It's really hard when someone criticizes you and you have the power or the authority to say, tell me more or let me think about that. Um, I, I, I want to value your opinion and it may just be an opinion like that takes a lot of humility and a lot of I think insight. So I'm not too afraid of real aggressive people because I I trust me and I know how to set a boundary and I know how to say, tell me more. And I know how to say, well, that landed kind of bad. Let me have some time. Um, So I think that we've all got to quit being afraid of that and learn how to take a breath. And and instead of being afraid of someone's aggressiveness, say that that's just their stuff. It's not mine. It's their stuff. It's not mine. And you just gave us and you rattled these off real quickly. So I just want to make sure that we, uh, shine a, a audio spotlight on those phrases. You just gave us some very practical ways to do that when we are talking with somebody who has that level of ag- aggressiveness and comes across in that way that, uh, can you go over those again? You just ha- gave us two or well, three different I, ways of I, responding. Just, I just know that my husband tells me I need to smooth out sometimes. So we're all, we all have different levels of tolerance for loud, bold, my opinion, my thought, this is how it is. You know, we all have different levels of tolerance. So what we wanna be able to do to build our own tolerance, to expand our own capacity, it's gonna be one way or the other. Either I need to learn to soften my edges and to understand that that sounds harsh to someone and perhaps they're gonna laugh and act like it's okay when in fact it's not. Um, Or I may need to learn to tolerate someone else's aggressiveness by saying, this is just how they're responding. I've triggered something. They are under pressure. They feel defensive. They have a blind spot. That's okay. I don't need them to change for me to communicate. I can say I'm not available to be yelled at. I know that we're both passionate. 
let's talk again tomorrow. Like we can learn how to set boundaries and still be very respectful. And one of the things that I say is that it's not disagreement that causes the problem, it's disrespect. Mm. So I can still respect someone, even if they're out of line, I can just set a boundary and say, not appropriate. And you feel what you feel, but let's talk again tomorrow at two. Because if I still show respect, I've created a safe place for them, even if they are overly aggressive. So that's how I look at it. And it starts to give the relationship a chance to grow, a chance for them to reflect, a chance for us to develop more confidence ourselves, all the good things that can come from doing that. Powerful, powerful. It's a good segue too, because in the book you say that conflict ultimately isn't the problem that leaders have an opportunity to be a channel for chaos or a catalyst for clarity. I love good alliteration and you've got plenty of it here, but conflict isn't actually the problem. So can you walk us through, how is conflict not actually the problem when we're thinking about conflict? We think conflict is the problem. And so we kind of label it and say, oh, I'm conflict averse, or I just want people to get along, or I don't do drama here. That's because we've already evaluated the idea of conflict with a war, a struggle, me against you, some sort of division. So I look at conflict as opposing drives, desires, and demands. And the illustration I give in the book is two arrows going in opposite directions. So if I can take out my assumptions and my interpretations about who you are, I can say, well, they have different drives, demands, and desires that I may not know about. Maybe they're not even clear enough to know what those are and they feel defensive now. So if conflict is not the problem, what is the problem? The problem is mismanagement. It's how I manage my own conflict about who they are and the conflict that we're both having. And the first part of it is I manage my inner conflict first. All right. So let's let's get practical. So we're going to manage our inner conflict first, then we'll come back to the other person in that situation. How do we go about doing that? Where do we start to start managing our inner conflict? And and I even want to dive a little level deeper and define that inner conflict, because I think I know what you mean, but I want to make sure that I'm on the same page here. So the theory, I'll do theory, then practical. The theory is that there's no conflict at all unless there's first an inner conflict. And what that means is I can have conflict all by myself with no one else in the room. In other words, let's say you and I. Oh, it's horrible. It's like, (laughs) but since I've realized that, it gives me a place to start. Because if I think you need to change, I'm going to be a victim of the circumstance. But if I know that I can do something to, to achieve clarity and alignment, then I know that I've got part of the puzzle solved already. So if I say there is no conflict unless there's an inner conflict, what that means is maybe I need to talk to the person who's really aggressive, but I'm afraid to do it because I don't want them to be aggressive. So now I have an inner conflict. I have the drive to resolve it, but I also have the drive for them not to yell at me, which I can't control. So I have to resolve the inner conflict first, which means it's okay if they yell at me because I can set a boundary. So So, once I resolve that, we can have the conversation. So the inner conflict is our competing drives that are both of them inside me. I want to I want to achieve this or do this, but I don't want to be yelled at or whatever it is. And that conflict we've got to resolve before we go successfully interact with the other person or people. Or let's take it to the opposite. I need to have a performance conversation, but they've had a rough year and I'm afraid they're going to cry. Mm -hmm. So I would rather appease and say, doing a great job. Love the ideas you're coming up with. 
but I know that that's really not going to help us move forward. So I feel bad within, and then I'm looking for evidence that they need to be moved to a different department. And that feels wrong too, but at least I didn't hurt their feelings. So my real drive is to not hurt their feelings versus to help them even when times are difficult. So I have to resolve, first of all, that they may cry but that I trust my ability to nurture and support. And it's okay for someone to feel something. I don't have to kick them into the dirt. It's okay for them to feel, and it's okay for me to feel afraid. My real objective is to help them grow. So therefore they may cry. I may feel stumped. We may have to recreate the conversation again the next day, but I trust me. So therefore I resolve my inner conflict and my main objective, the island I'm going to is help them improve thus helping the organization to grow. So my main objective is not about protecting their feelings. My main objective is to help them grow to where they can grow. Wow, that is so deep. And it strikes me that even in the, okay, I don't want to, and I'm gonna put it in quotes, hurt their feelings, even that is can be avoidant behavior on our part, that it's really, I don't want them to think poorly of me uh, sometimes. It always, this is, I love that you said that because while we, this is the lie we tell ourselves, I, I'm so empathetic that I just don't want to hurt their feelings. But if we dig deeper, it's how I feel when I hurt their feelings. Their feelings are hurt, but they belong to them. And I'm sensitive. Therefore, I'm taking on something that does not belong to me. On the other hand, those folks that are super aggressive are so low in other awareness that there's no inner conflict with hurting other people's feelings because they've taken on an identity of a straight shooter and they don't even realize what's in the wake of that. So there's a lack of self and other awareness that if I want to grow, my area is going to be something that has to make me desire to shave off those rough spaces. Like when I hear someone tell me I need to like slow it down or, or soften it, it's really hard because I don't see why what I said bothered someone. Like it seems very factual to me that people have different sensitivities. So the more aware we are and to check in with people, how did that land? You know, like one time on a webinar, I said, I, I'm getting this feeling that you think I'm mean. And they said, well, you're very direct. But from my perspective, it's better to be honest and truthful about something that's mandated than to let people pretend that it is a choice when in fact it's not. So they saw that as a lack of collaboration. But what I was able to say is, but you're not collaborating now because the person you're trying to get to change thinks they have a choice when in fact they don't. So right. to me, being really honest, it's a skill set and it's an awareness. And I've learned that you can only be as honest as your own levels of self-awareness. If you're not self-aware of these patterns, you are being nice and you're appeasing in the name of teamwork and collaboration when in fact it's, it's tearing apart the trust. Once again, so much to explore there. I'm going with the, 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 the last thing that you said there about if you're not being honest, it, you, you can't collaborate, you can't do any of those things if you don't have that yourself. And you have to have the self-awareness, you have to have the, the internal conflict resolved in, in some re regard in order to do that, which that's a lot to think about. And this is something that uh, resonated when I was reading the book because I, I think it's so true, is that when people are thinking about taking a management or a leadership role, they're not thinking about, you know, what's my tolerance for conflict? How well do I self-resolve things first? And how aware am I of my own competing desires? And how committed am I to helping other people to grow in order to be the best team we can be? These are things we ought to think about as we're considering taking leadership positions or accepting more responsibility. 
And, and you've got some advice for both aspiring leaders as well as seasoned leaders in terms of how to think about all of this. Yeah, you, you really have to make the commitment to developing yourself. And that sounds like a lot on top of what you're already doing. But if your organization doesn't offer some sort of coaching, development, and so on, the truth is you're going to be the one blamed if there's ever a litigation or a lawsuit because they're going to look for a way to say, oh, we tried to get that person coaching. I've been hired before so they could have a checklist. We got them coaching and then we had to fire them because it didn't work. You know, so you have to understand what you're up against and know the truth about leadership. And the weird thing is that we lie to ourselves when we first get the promotion and we say, you know what, we're all adults. I'm well liked. It'll be okay. As long as I'm good to them, they're going to be good to me. And then the reality hits. And so in a way, development is not relevant until it is. So you can have all the training in the world. It's sort of like going to college and taking an accounting class and you don't have a business. So it's like you can pass, but it doesn't, it's not enjoyable and it's irrelevant. But once you have a business, all of a sudden these things are relevant and interesting to you. Just like when you're like me, I've got a mother that's my mom's in a nursing home. Well, I could have been studying about this well before knowing that in five, 10 years, that's going to happen. But like, it's not relevant till it's relevant. Now that's all I want to read about. I'm so interested. What can I do? How can I handle it? How can I communicate? So it's the same thing when you become a leader. And where I see the big gap in most organizations is that senior level leaders do not know how to coach their subordinate leaders. That is the thing I see that's missing is that they consider themselves to be an executive or senior leader. Therefore, I'm hands off. That's their job. But the truth is they don't know how to do that job. And they're afraid to tell you that they don't know how to do it because they're going to look incompetent. Therefore, there's all kinds of things going on that you don't know about that you need to know about. And if there is a theme coming through here in our conversation so far is that all of the problems that come from our tendency to avoid to avoid the negative, what we fear would be negative perceptions of us that may or may not be accurate, but the, uh, or the, the discomfort that we might experience. And what, if you're, if you're aspiring to leadership, you know, the advice of getting familiar with your own reactions to conflict and learning how to, to manage all this. The good news is in the difference between, I think, account studying accounting, which I was resonating with that too, because yes, I had the financial, <laughs> the financial management classes. And then, you know, you get it, you're actually doing it like, oh, wait. All right. so, paid more attention. <laughs> I mean, I passed the class with flying colors, but actually doing it, different thing. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the good news when you're thinking about, for all of our folks who are listening and you're in a, you know, a, a, a either an aspiring leader or you have a, a small responsibility pool in terms of number of people. You have opportunities for conflict almost every day because it's part of the human experience. So you have an opportunity to do what Marlene's talking about, to start exploring that, to see what's happening for you, to start resolving those inner things first, which the sooner, it's like compound investing, boy, the sooner you start that work, the bigger dividends it's gonna pay as, as you go on in life. Absolutely. <laughs> So, you know, that's for our aspiring leaders. Then for, I know we've got CEOs and senior vice presidents and, and so on who listen to the show. If they are hearing you, Marlene, and saying, huh, you know, I might be a little disconnected from that. I haven't been totally comfortable with being perceived in some of these ways and things. What are some of the steps they can take to maybe start moving towards a, towards the conflict and stop avoiding and start leading as you as you subtitle says 
Yeah, I think that for the senior level leaders, just start building relationships with leaders below you instead of being so hands off. Let them know that there's a place to come. Don't solve their problems, but let them know there's a place to go to discuss a problem. And what, and coaching is about asking good questions and listening for principles and listening for landmines. And if you don't know how to do that, that's a skill that you could develop is learn how to coach. Learn, look at your own value system and how that guides your decision making. You may not even be aware of it, but you're in a senior leadership role. Something like that has had to happen at some point. And so when middle level leaders or even director level when they don't make great decisions a lot of times it's because they don't feel like they'll be supported at the top so that's a cultural issue i get reach outs for workshops so often on they're not making good decisions but the truth is it's because you're not having a conversation i can give the workshop but if you don't support their decisions you've wasted money yeah. So I say, get a clown in a pizza party and that'll do more for you than a workshop. <laughs> but, but truly, that might be, that might be that direct honesty that you were referring is, to earlier. It is. And it's rough sometimes. And I sometimes have to do that to get the attention. It seems like because they've yeah. already decided they know what the problem is, but the, yeah. often the problem is there's no communication upward to downward. And yeah. that is the real issue, not their performance. They don't feel like you are there to support them. Yeah, uh, I've, I've had those conversations with uh, C-suite teams that are looking for, you know, to bring in somebody to solve the problems that their managers have. And it's like, well, yeah, if you actually want to solve this problem, this is a us problem. This is all of us together yeah. for all the reasons that you just said. We're talking with Marlene Chisholm, author of From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. And we've had some very deep and intense conversation around this is an inside game. It starts with your self-leadership and resolving the conflicts in you. And one of the principles that you, you talk about that is, uh, Marlene, is comfort is not a requirement. And for me, that one of the ways that I have said that for myself over the years and that I've, I've coached and taught is that for leaders, particularly, I think it's life, but for particularly for people who choose to take responsibility for self and others, it's not if problems, it's which problems, which means, yeah, comfort is not a requirement. It's almost discomfort's almost a reality if we're going to lead anything close to well. Absolutely. You're going to have to expand. So I always say, well, you're going to have to climb that mud hill anyway. You might as well start today because it's still going to be there. So just understand that just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. If we commit to comfort, then we're making a commitment based on what's easy. And all of our choices are based on something. It's our choices are based on convenience. Our choices are based on being liked. Our choices are based on this will get me the next promotion. Our choices are based on what I want to do right now and what feels good today. Or our choices are based on decisions and decisions are more strategic and they're more values driven. So we want to learn how to become a decision maker. Then choices become so much easier. When you're talking about getting into so we, as we move from the leading of self into the leading of others, one of the elements that you talk about that I think is so important is clarity, uh, clarity and understanding. And, and the, the way that you say this, you can't change a situation if you don't understand it. And you can't help someone get what they want if you don't understand them, which I just thought there's so much insight for, for our leaders there. Without clarity, there's no alignment. Leadership clarity helps leaders make aligned business decisions. 
Clarity and understanding. Can you walk us through what you mean by clarity and understanding? And then I'd like to dive into how can we ensure that we are achieving and providing the clarity that we so desperately need? Okay, this is this is good. This is rich. So I want to talk about clarity first. And I've used this concept of clarity in all of my books, including Stop Workplace Drama, which is my first commercially published book. And I call it the language of the island. And I make a distinction between clarity as a general principle and leadership clarity. So I want to make that distinction. So when I talk about clarity, I talk about uh, three points of reference. There's a little guy in a boat and he's heading to an island. So point A is the boat, that's the situation. The island is where we wanna go, whether that's this month's sales, whether it's you know half year mark, what do we want to achieve or whether it's an employee's performance, we're always at point A or going to point B. And so what happens is there's an obstacle always, the bigger the gap, the more potential for drama. The obstacle is a shark and the shark is between the boat and the island. So we're always trying to get to the island and whatever that island is, that's our outcome, but there's always obstacles. So we wanna understand clarity. And the first part of clarity is, well, there's situation, but there's really, what do I want? Whether that's possible or not is irrelevant to the, to the clarity of what I want. Now that involves telling the truth about what I want and why I want it. But until you can say what you want, for example, let's take this on the standpoint of the middle level or frontline leader. They've got an employee complaining, complaining, complaining. The question you really try to find out is what is it that you want? Because what that conversation is going to be is so-and-so didn't do this or that, and I'm unhappy about this, and it wasn't fair that they changed the schedule. Your role as a leader at this point is to say, I hear you that you're unhappy. What is it that you want? And I will guarantee you most of the time, you will never hear what they want. You'll hear, let me tell you what else happened last week. (laughs) Or you'll hear, let me tell you why it's not fair. And now if we engage in the conversation about whether it's fair or not, we just took a distraction to the left-hand island called why it's not fair. And now that's what Mm. we're talking about. So the leader's job is to maintain clarity by talking about end result, what do we want? So that's the idea of clarity is if I don't know what I want, I can complain all day long, but I haven't been able to articulate this is what needs to happen i can say you never you never take out the trash you don't care about me you're so inconsiderate this happened five times let me tell you about how this has happened to me and what it's wearing me out i feel sick from it in fact i've got a broken back from taking out the tr- i still have not said i need you to take out the trash once a day at three o'clock on that note marlene is you're, you're we're getting that clarity about what the other person wants and mm-hmm. certainly we should have clarity around our, our own as well i'm curious do people ever answer that question? I'm asking this hypothetically because I know I have answered it this way for myself, but sometimes the answer to that question is, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to hear or validate or understand my perception of the injustice or what have you and acknowledge that it was there. And that's go deal with it. Then, then say, thank you. Like sometimes I'll say, are you wanting to vent or are you wanting ideas? Are you wanting me to coach? Because if you want to vent, I can do that and I can be open to that and hear you and say, I hear you. I see you. Right. And if that's all they want, sometimes people are like, wow, there's no more. There's nothing else to push against because I was heard. So, yes, that's clarity. If all I want is to be heard, I can do that for you. I hear you. Now, going further, I could say as a coach, what choices do you have now? Because that's really the next step. Because you've given me what you said you wanted. I gave you the listening. But if it's still unresolved, the story that's been resolved no longer needs to be told. So if it's not resolved, it's going to keep being told. So the question is, what are your choices at this point? Yes, you were victimized. Yes, you were done wrong. There was an injustice. Fact, fact, fact. 
Now, what choices do you have? Because that takes you out of victim mode. So that's my thoughts and ideas around clarity. And it's pretty, it's complex in a way, but it's also very simple. And the way that I talk about leadership clarity, which I think is missing at every level, leadership clarity is I can clearly articulate the situation, the desired outcome and the obstacles real or perceived. So it's still boat, island, shark. But here's where I find the clarity missing when someone's calling me and wants help. They have already decided, like I've said, they want a workshop, they need a program on trust, they want a program on leadership identity, they want a program to solve the problem, which I call getting stuck on the rock called how. We're now on this rock called how it's going to happen instead of what's really happening. So what I'll say is, that's great. You may need that. Here's a question. What's happening that should not be happening? I just got off with a client that said, well, there's no sense of urgency. And I said, so great. That's very general. What is happening that should not be happening or what is not happening that should be? Well, when we get a phone call with a request for bid, they're putting it in the database and then texting and spending all kinds of time on administrative versus a phone call that would book the business. So what is happening that should not be happening? What's not happening is they're not getting on the phone immediately. So now we have our first step. We don't need a big workshop about that. We just need to say the first step as a, as a phone call. And just so, can we just pause there? Because I think you've identified something that's so important that as leaders, we take whatever these observations are that we're not even sometimes aware that we're making these observations. And then we interpret it and label, oh, they don't have a sense of urgency might not be the problem at all. There's something that, and this is the clarity you're talking about in this specific instance, this is the shark on some level, what's happening that should not be happening or, or what isn't happening that should be. And if we can def ask ourselves that question, the solutions become so much more apparent. Yeah, because at the island is the opposite of that. And there's a reason why you want that to happen. So the reason you want it to happen is extra clients, more revenue, bigger sales. There's a reason that you want it, but I look at what first, because it's easier to define that. You can dig holes in, in defining the why. You can dig holes and then we become real idealistic. Well, we just want to support our customers. Well, what do you want? It's okay to want something just for the sake of wanting it. I, I'm from that belief, just because you want to create it is enough reason. You'll find the why later, perhaps. So don't worry so much about that. So I know that's different than what Simon says, <laughs> but go to the island and tell what you want and you'll, you'll discover the truth soon enough. And so if you want that, because it's going to help you grow your business now, it's not about the sense of urgency. It's about what I need them to do versus let's go have a workshop on it that takes three days. Those three days, you could have booked six clients. So let's say that what's not happening is you're not getting on the phone. So now the new rule is the first thing you do is a phone call followed up by a text or email, put it on your calendar that you follow up. Because if you don't, you have a problem that you still haven't solved, even though you made a phone call because there's a lack of follow up. These are behavioral issues to look at and they're easy to resolve. So what I look for is I look for clarity, resources, skills, priority, and willingness. And it's almost always a combination. There's always clarity, but there's also resources and priority can be part of the problem. And if you don't identify that, you're going to throw the wrong solution at it. And you know, you're trying to, the, the, what strikes me as you're getting to the behavioral level is you're not trying to change the person's outlook or attitude or personality. Their sense of urgency isn't the issue. We need a good process about how we respond, how, what we do in this business, how we respond to prospect requests. 
Yeah. Instead of taking a disc, which is fine, instead of doing the Enneagram or your horoscope or like anything else, let's <laughs> try to worry about why we're not working together because this person's a, a, a S on the disc. So therefore, they're more support. They're not. Urgent. Let's quit worrying about that for just five minutes. And let's just see if we can't resolve this in just a couple of conversations. <laughs> I just don't think it has to be that complicated. It's about clarity. We do overcomplicate things. And I yeah. think that that this is a really excellent model that you've given everyone listening. So I just want to revisit it. So we're talking about leadership clarity. So you use the, you're on a boat, there's an island, that's what you want. And there's the sharks. And so the things that are happening or not happening or are getting in the way. And the, the, the clearer we can be about those things, specifically with the sharks, what's happening that should, shouldn't be or is that shouldn't be. And then what do you want? And, and you said, you know, I'm not overly tied to the why you want it right now. But if you're clear about what you want and you're honest about that and you're moving towards it, I, I think the value in that, as I reflect and as I sit with what you're saying, Marlene, is that the, the why will resolve. So if I start moving in a direction and I see these obstacles and I go, you know, yeah, those shark, I don't, you know, now that I'm getting closer to that island, I wanted to go there, but there are a bunch of palm trees. I don't like coconuts. Yeah. That island over there has pine trees. <laughs> you know, I'm going to head over there. Like it will resolve. We lie about our why all the time because we want other people to like us, you know, and I love Robert Fritz. It's an old book, but it's the path of least resistance. And it just really changed my life about saying, if I want to create something, the desire of creating it is enough reason. I don't have to say to save the world, to be of value to others, to be a servant leader. Those are great things. In essence, you will do that by the nature of you creating what you want. So like, that's a given. It's not something you need to go prove to the world. My why is good enough to do it. I can say, I want to build this business because I want to see how I grow in doing it. And in doing so, it's going to, it'll be a value or people wouldn't buy it. So I don't have to worry about all that. So I really love just getting really clear on the why and what, or on the what, but what I've learned through that is that a lot of times when you're coaching someone, what people say they want is not really the thing that they say. Like, in other words, if you're coaching someone say, well, what do you want? Well, I just want it. I just want Sally to be fired. So that's what they say. Well, that's getting stuck on the rock called how. So you have to recognize that the question then is, what would that give you that you don't have now? Because you think that that will solve a problem. So if I just don't battle with you on that and go to the island called verbal ping pong, oh, that's, you know, I can't fire Sally. She's been here for 20 years. She's the boss's daughter. Like, we're not going to do all that. I'm just going to say, okay, you want Sally to be fired. I just stay curious. So what would that do for you that you don't have now? Well, I mean, I don't really want that. Or they could say that, or they may say, well, that way I can get my work done without being interrupted. So what you really want is to stop being interrupted. So that's how you just determine, like we get stuck on that rock called how, and we think we have the solution. If I had a million dollars, if Sally got fired, if my husband would get another job, if these three leaders would just get along, what would that give you that you don't have now? Well, it would give us better collaboration. And why does that matter? It matters because we'd get more sales. And why does that matter? Because it would mean we're serving with bigger impact. You'll find it. Yeah. But like to go, well, because we're so altruistic, that's just, I think that's posturing sometimes. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it might be the, the, the deeper, but to do this, so what would that, so the follow-up question as you're having these conversations with folks is, so what do you want? If it's feeling like there might be something else or it's like, okay, wait a second, that's a how, not a what. Mm -hmm. And what would that give you? What would that do for you? What would that change that isn't the case now? And frequently in that, you'll start to get what's actually meaningful and important and 
you can work together to solve. And it's almost always emotional, which we don't like to think business is like touchy feely and emotional, but in the end, it's about the experience. It's about the joy. It's about the, it's the soul's purpose. It's something in, in it that makes you achieve something that is meaningful to you. And if that's collaboration, let's face it, that feels good. Why would we want it if it doesn't feel good? So if it's only to an end of making more money, we all need money. Money is a great thing. It's a resource. But if that's your only goal, it's fine for you to have that goal. But if you're not happy, what's the point? That's that's what I'm saying. It's fine for you to have that goal. I'm no judgment on your goals. But if you're miserable, lose your you lose your life in the process. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So. Gosh, so many good conversations here. The follow-up from the coaching. So what do you want? If that's weird, what would that give you? What would that do for you? What would that change that isn't there now? And then once you have clarity there, the second question that I want to call back to, it was, it's been a few minutes since we went there, is what choices do you have? What is your choice? Because when you find your choice, you find your power. And when people say, well, I don't have a choice, what you need to interpret that is I'm a victim of circumstances. I have no choice. I have no choice but to show up late because I had no choice but to answer the phone. I have no choice but to stay in this department because I don't have a degree and I don't have a choice to go get a degree and I don't believe there's anything else out there. So the, the victim's cry is I have no choice. So what I try to help leaders to do is to coach to choice. That's coaching to empowerment. What are your choices? What you'll find is you'll go to the distraction island on that question. Let me tell you what else happened last week. No, I understand. I understand you're unhappy and you said what you want. Now let's talk about choice. Because when you find your choice, you find your power. And choice is often just the very next right step. Would you be willing to check into the college degrees? Would you be willing to train with Marissa? Would you be willing? It's all about what you're willing to do to take that next right step because victims never see a choice. All they see is sharks, barriers, and distractions. So your job is not to get wound up and try to want it more than they do. Your job is to look at the light in their eye when they see their choice and they get excited. Now you're onto something because they've taken control of their life again. Yeah, that's what empowerment's all about is is truly helping people to recognize and own their own ability to choose in different circumstances. And, uh, you know, I think of situations like uh, an edict comes down from senior leadership that maybe we didn't support. Maybe the team was not on top of this one or, or in terms of uh, that it, it didn't go with the option that we liked. So, all right. We are not in control of the fact that that needs to be done, but we do have choices about where we go next. What do we do with it? How do we do it in a way that feels good to us, that reflects our best, that uh, gets the additional information or best serves our credit, what have you? We still have choices. Always. And I I get people, you know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot because I've done some work with LinkedIn on the LinkedIn learning platform. I have like five different video type programs, but I'll get people reaching out to me and like on the back end, you know, and they'll say something like, oh, this is what the problem is. And it's my manager and he doesn't support and it's this and it's bad and it's that. I've tried this. I've watched your course and it was great, but I haven't been able to do this or that. My answer is look for another job because if you can't control anything in the culture, if that's truly the reality, which it might be, I'm going to trust that you know your culture. I don't know your culture, but if this is how it is, if you've tried, if you've used these techniques, if you're hitting a brick wall, why do you stay? 
you know, tell yourself the truth about why you're staying. Because if you think that you have skills, if you think you have something to offer, there's lots of places to work, especially nowadays. You can work from the comfort of your home a lot of times. Talking with Marlene Chisholm, author of From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. Marlene, I got a couple more questions here for you before we uh, have to, to tie things up for time. But before we go there, can you tell us where we can connect with you? Uh, you mentioned LinkedIn. Where can we find you? Where can we find your book? Yes, you can. My website is MarleneChism.com. C-H-I-S-M is the spelling of the last name. Um, you can uh, get my book at Amazon. It's on Book Depository if you're international. You can get it like if you're in China or Japan, they've got it figured out there. So you can get it there. All right. So I just want to encourage you. There is so much, uh, listener, there is so much in uh, this book, From Conflict to Courage, that can help with all of the topics we've been addressing. And it, <clears throat> excuse me, again, we have only begun. There are chapters here about dealing with high conflict people, um, disruptive people, and uh, your negativity people, your game players, your excuse makers, all these sorts of folks. You've got resources, practical ways to help and address those. There are two sections I want to kind of close us with. And the first one is our own anger. Mm. Uh, because you have an approach and in, in discussing and talking about how we're dealing with our own anger. What's the proper place for it? How do we manage it helpfully? And I think that's an important topic if we're being realistic about the with human-centered leaderships. Humans get angry. I know I do from time to time. Yes, yes. well, and, and I say, you know, when we're angry, first of all, knowing what happens. When we get really triggered and like, there's a little anger, irritations and anger, but like really angry, like you blew up and like, wow, where did that come from? That's not who I am. No, of course it's not who you are, but if you understand how it works and obviously I've had anger issues <laughs> or I wouldn't know this stuff, right? Um, if you know how it works, how it works is that when you get triggered, no matter where the trigger comes from, your front, your prefrontal cortex, your thinking brain shuts down. Your survival brain kicks in at the back of your head. It's your survival mechanism. And what happens is whatever, however you interpret it, that will seem like the absolute truth to you. And you will feel the urge, the energetic urge to take immediate action, whether that's punching someone, whether that's slamming your fist down, whether that's deleting a relationship, all caps emails, you'll feel so justified. And you'll be like, I will not regret this. I'm done. I've been run over. So anger is not the truth. You've got to know this. It's not the truth. It is the fuel to get you there. And what I mean by that is it's an attention getting mechanism that says something got my attention. And what it probably means is there's a low level of awareness of when it was building. Something happened, a, a boundary got crossed. I got triggered from past programming. There's something that happened that's not okay with me, but I'm going to interpret this as I need to take action, but not right now because I need more information. And right now my brain is not in a place to give me that information. So I'm going to let that feeling process through my body. And that is the hardest part of anger is to build that space between stimulus and response I'm not always effective at that, but I've gotten a lot better. So it's a process. It's not a one-time workshop. It is a process. It's, you have to feel bad. And most of us have an aversion to feeling bad. 
because your brain's going to say it's their fault. Here's the facts. Here's what they did. There's no other way to interpret it. And you're going to believe it. And in fact, you're going to call people that agree with you. Oh, I agree. Yeah, they've always been that way. It's about time you spoke up. You don't need to do that right now. You need to like process it, go journal about it. So I, I call it emotional integrity. And so the first one is to take ownership of your experience. Stop blaming someone, even if they did something, those are facts, but you take ownership of the way you felt and responded to it. Then you face your dark side. Hey, my dark side is I'd like to tell them off. I'd like to do all caps. I'd like to go on social media and cancel them. That's my dark side. Okay. It's just what I don't have to react to that, but that is my dark side. Then when I have time and, and I'm in that place, I represent myself. This is how I experience that. And then I need to decide, do I need to set a boundary? Do I need to ask for what I want? Do I need more awareness? The first time I start to see those triggers, like if I'm interrupted four times, maybe it's okay the first time, the second time I got a little irritated, the third time I started thinking about the fourth time I was furious and the fifth time I blew up. Well, I should have noticed it the first or second time. And I could have said, look, I've noticed that sometimes in meetings, we both get passionate. And there's times when I experience not getting to say what I want to say. So what I'm going to ask for you is the next time when you interrupt, I'm going to say, hold up, I want to finish. That's how we start taking control of it. But you can't do it without awareness. If you believe everything you think, you will justify your blowups to the end of the earth. You know that it's not the truth. It's just the fuel that will get you there. One of my favorite bumper stickers, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> wow. The, uh, so, okay. So anger is a signal for us. Something isn't right. And the practice of using it and, and letting it do the healthy work that it's there and can do for us is to become aware of it, to build in the ownership of it, to own our experience, to choose in that moment, I'm not going to act on this. I'm going to use it as the signal it is, then own it, do the look at myself squarely in the mirror. What is the impulse? And then the reflection and then choosing some different ways that are more productive that, that can get us there to, to, resolve the situation, which is an actual situation. The anger is there for a reason. Yeah. And it's weird because while I say this, I realize that any one of us, including myself at any time could be triggered to such an extent that we couldn't control it. And I'm not saying there's an excuse for that. I'm saying it's the reality. So, you know, not to bring up a lot of controversy, but like the Chris Rock slap, you know, Will Smith, Chris Rock, you know, so many opinions about that, but I come from the place of saying, oh, my God, I hope I never do anything like that instead of, oh, he should have. And they, I'm not going to excuse it. And it means I didn't go into all that because the reality is I don't know what I'm capable of under certain stress, duress, world events. I don't know. So I want to give enough grace to say I am never the know it all. I'm always the person that says it could be me, too. And it doesn't excuse it. It just reminds me of our, our humanity, that we need to be aware that right now in this volatile time, we're all getting triggered in ways that we never expected. So I think leaders just need to really, really practice and work on emotional integrity. So we'll tie a bow on emotional integrity and processing our anger. The final place I wanted to have you take us here, and I think you just hinted at it in your approach to dealing with the interrupter, is in chapter seven, you talk about a model for initiating and guiding healthy conversations that inspire and support. And so I thought that'd be a good place to, to wrap up our discussion and, and hopefully get everybody out there to get a copy of From Conflict to Courage, how to stop avoiding and start leading and start taking some of these steps ourselves. So I'm going to give you the last word here, Marlene, if you could walk us through this model for initiating and guiding 
healthy conversations. Yeah, the book was my original intent for the book was to be one on difficult conversations because I've been doing a lot of training in that developed a model that's actually a blueprint. And with that said, the blueprint holds within itself the skills to use separately. The reason I put it together in a blueprint is that if we've allowed a a problem to go on for so long, we generally have to have that sit down meeting. Once you clear all that up and now the elephant's out of the room, now it's just about, hey, I just observed, or here's what I need, or hey, there's a boundary here. Like then you can use every one of the skills just because you've got the relationship. But if there's a big elephant in the room, you probably have to schedule a a formal meeting with someone one-to-one, not by email, not by text. So the first part, it's divided up into actually three sections. The first section is leadership clarity. The second section is employee clarity. And the third is the follow-up and accountability. So the first section is the part you do before you ever utter a word and part of it you do out loud as well. But the first part of it is determining your end result, your island. What's my intention for the conversation? And I view an intention as a goal with a soul. In other words, it's not just about increasing our sales numbers. It's about you becoming the salesperson you can be, or it's about you becoming the leader you can be. It's not just about me getting the award at the end of the year that we did the best in the department. So it's a goal with a soul. I decide, and what that requires of you to be honest is to let go of all the inner conflict and division that you already feel toward that person. That's the hardest part is to get a real clear intention because once you state that intention, that is your North Star. So it's my intention for this conversation is And then it's about um, what I've observed. In other words, what's happening that shouldn't be happening. And then it's what I want and what I don't want so that we clarify that totally. Like, I don't want you to think you're in trouble or, or I'm documenting to fire you. What I do want is for you to understand the importance of this and how I can support you. Um, And so how this affects the business, we start to talk about the business relationship to this issue, because what I find is that most leaders don't train employees to look at the business case for why we want collaboration, why we need you to be inclusive, why we need you to use the phone instead of documentation. So the business case for it. And then after that, like it's like once you've done this prep work. You look at your own willingness. Where's my desire not to do this? Am I willing to if they scream, if they yell, if they walk out, am I willing to deal with that? And so you get your own clarity, but that's also how you start that conversation. And you also, in that prep phase, you you do think about what might they say, but you don't really kind of come up with back pocket things like, I'm going to say this if they say that, because that's really not going to make you open to what's being said in the moment. And I always say the the, the, uh, solution will come through the conversation, not before it. Mm -hmm. So you have to be in the unknown, and that's hard for most of us. So the next part is the employee clarity when after you've said these things, you know, my intention for this conversation is to talk about how we can increase our sales numbers and how I can support you in doing that. What I've observed is you're not documenting blah, blah, blah. And now what I don't want is you to think this is some sort of effort to get you gone or move you to a different department. What I do want is to be that support to you and you to be honest and open with me, Um, you know, because here's how this is affecting our whole team. And so I'm willing to share this with you. And so I want to ask you, walk me through what your experience, and now I'm listening. Now it's their turn. And now you're using that island to think, is this going to be a distraction? Is this going to be, we need a workshop? Is this going to be a blame? Because I'm really going to guide them to getting the help they need. And I might already have what I think is a solution, which might be to mentor with someone or whatever. And that's fine to have that in your back pocket. You may discover that's not it. But once they walk you through, you're going to be listening for clarity, resources, priorities, skills, and willingness. And willingness is what I call the fulcrum point of change. 
if you keep hearing excuses about why it's not going to happen, why it's not fair, why it's someone else's fault, you are going to struggle with that person. They're not coachable and you're going to have to figure out how to break down that lack of willingness. So that's what you're listening for. That's kind of like learning to be a consultant and not get engaged in a distraction or verbal ping pong. So when you realize it's actually a resource issue, okay, well, their computer's been broken. I didn't realize, you know, they were scared to ask for a new computer or uh, they didn't get the training because a person was up on maternity leave and we forgot about that. We dropped that ball. Great. Now that we understand, we can resolve. Then once we resolve and they're willing to take the initiative that you're asking for, then it's about a follow-up to see how we're doing. Because without the follow-up, there's this good, touchy-feely, great aura. We've had this conversation. It was so scary. Oh my God, I did it. And now we're all happy. But without a commitment and an agreement, you're going to be on that same, same boat. If you don't have it in your calendar to follow up, whether it's in one day, one week, three months, whatever that seems, you know, whatever seems appropriate. So that's the whole concept. And the book is full of examples and the outline as well as the skill sets within that. Such a powerful outline. Yeah, yeah around here we call that uh, schedule the finish. You yes. gotta schedule the finish to, to make that whole conversation worth it. And you know, the strikes me as you're discussing like approaching it with curiosity and walk me through that and, and getting their experience on the table, they may have a good insight that we hadn't considered that's maybe better than what, or a solution or a problem that needs to be resolved. And it's not an accountability conversation at all. It's a growth conversation for everybody because we've approached it this way. So just recapping, starting the model for initiating guiding healthy conversations, we're going to start with my intention is, and that's your goal of the soul, what I've observed, what I want, what I don't want, and then inviting their experience in, having the discussion, and then setting that commitment, that follow through, that in our language, scheduling the finish to make sure that we're translating all that conversation into positive results. Yes. All yeah. right. There's certain skills and nuances, of course, you know, it's, it, there's a lot to it really in, in practicing it. But I find that when people at least have the skills and the outline, that helps tremendously with the anxiety that's provoked sometimes by not knowing even where to start the conversation. And, you know, if you start a conversation by saying, hey, would you come into my office? already someone's on alert that <laughs> yeah. they're in trouble or that they're going to be documented for some reason. But if you say, Hey, my intention is to talk about now all of a sudden there's a focus. And if we get off chart, well, li listen to what happened last year when we reorganized. Well, I understand that our focus is to talk about X and we can talk about that in a separate conversation, but it's what's, it's what keeps you in charge of the conversation versus getting hooked into the verbal ping pong. Marlene, this has been such a rich conversation and it, it, the goal of the soul, if I had to leave with anything right there, so I think what you were just saying, that intention, if I can get really grounded and clear about that intention, the North Star, you called it, that anchor, that, that however we're, that the propeller, I don't know what language we're going to, what, choose the metaphor, but that keeps us on target. And the rest we can see our way through as long as we're aiming and staying on course for that. I don't know if you've ever heard of this saying before, but it's something that really has struck with me. And it's from Gary Zukoff, more of a new age writer. But he says that if you don't know your intention before an interaction, you'll know it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So if I think I'm just trying to help you, but it comes off as really harsh and there's this blow up, I might have had an intention to kind of get back at you. And I didn't realize that was underneath some of it. So you have to really clean it out. You have to be really pure. And that takes a level of vulnerability and courage. 
Words that keep coming up on leadership without losing your soul. Marlene Chisholm, thank you so much for being a guest. Listeners, choose to move from conflict to courage. Stop avoiding, start leading, get clear on your intention, find that goal of your soul. And Marlene, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And this has been an incredibly rich conversation. So appreciate it. Uh, you have given us so much. Uh, I, I just am very grateful. If you had to do in one sentence, your last bit of advice for people who are on this journey, what would you suggest? I would say that anytime you're feeling conflicted, look internally first and then understand the concept that clarity can change any situation. Mm, clarity can change any situation. Find that clarity, seek for your goal of the soul and you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. Marlene, thanks again. And listeners, we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.